Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. Today, my guest is Eva Marie Everson. Eva is the president of Word Weavers International, which is a Christian critique group for writers. She is a teacher and a prolific author of both fiction and nonfiction. So Eva, thank you for coming and talking with me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love to talk about Israel. That's, and I love to talk about the fact that as Christians were grafted into the faith. That's right. And it's such an important topic. And there's so many ways we can learn. And I think one of the favorite ways, if you can afford it, then is to go to Israel because we learn so much in Israel and how it affects our faith, how it affects even our reading of the Bible. It affects so many things when we've been there. And I know not everyone has been there and you have been, I've only been there once, but I think you've been there multiple times. Yes. Yes. And so I wanted you to share a little bit about your trips and how it impacted your life. I'll start off by telling you that I've, I mean, I grew up studying the Bible. I've always loved the Bible. I still have my you remember those Bible encyclopedias? You used to find them at the doctor's office. The, the first one would be there, and then they would have the little cards, and, and mom and dad could could send off for the whole Bible encyclopedia set. And so I still have them. I, I'm looking at them right now. But I also had a lot of the like children's Bible story books and things like that. I was always fascinated with the Bible. And I think especially because even as a little girl, I knew that I, I had something inside of me that that told story. There was something... I looked at everything as a story. And so, of course, the Bible is just full of stories. You know, these are these are the stories of real people's lives. But I never really connected totally the Old Testament to the New Testament. I never understood the Jewish root of Christianity until I was sitting in church one day back probably in the late 80s. Now, at this point, I, I I've been a dancer just about my whole life. I, you know, obviously I'm not taking dance lessons anymore, but if the right song is on, you'll find me cutting a rug <laughs> as, my, as my daughter will, you know, very embarrassingly admit to. Uh, I had taken, you know, like uh, Hebrew dance and I had danced in festivals um, for different Hebrew, uh, you know, or, or for different Jewish festivals that, that Christians also can celebrate and that kind of thing. But it still wasn't totally connecting Until I was sitting in church one day and we were in John 10 and it said, you know, that Jesus and his disciples went into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of lights. And then there was this little star or, you know, asterisk, whatever, maybe a letter of the alphabet. And I, I looked down and it said, that is Hanukkah. And and all of a sudden it hit me. I mean, just how Jewish Jesus was. Like I didn't like, it, it wasn't like I didn't know I knew, 
But all of a sudden, the absolute Jewishness of Jesus kind of hit me. And I began to study the Bible after that in a different way. Um, I looked at the different things that Jesus would say or or that the disciples would do or that Paul would talk about and and Peter would write about. And then I would I would go into the reference books and say, well, what did that mean exactly for the Jews who were reading this and really began to see that that there were things that Jesus said and that others wrote about later on um, that John wrote about, uh, Peter wrote about, et cetera. If you notice a lot of times, you know, like John would say things like, you know, it was the, it was the third hour or something. And then he would explain it, or he would say, you know, they, they said to him, rabbi, in other words, teacher. So he is trying to explain the Jewishness of everything. And so I began to really get into the old Testament. I, I just said, okay, where do you start? Where well, you started Genesis one, one. So I, I began to study that. And I, and then I began to study Jewish traditions and that kind of thing. And I just became absolutely enamored and, and obsessed with this and, and realizing that some of the things that were said and done, we don't catch as Christians because we have not studied our Jewish roots for those of for those of us who have not. So as it turned out, um, uh, we had moved here to Orlando and we started going to a mega church. And within the church, there was a, an educational wing, uh, if you will, to the, to the church. And uh, they were teaching a class on Genesis. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. So I, I went and the teacher was wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful, but there were things he was missing. And I knew he was missing them because I, you know, I had spent all this time in such intense study. And so after a, a little bit, I started saying, well, you know, the original Hebrew says, and, and, you know, things like that. It wasn't too long after that, that I was called into the pastor who was over education. I was called into his office. It was almost like being called into the principal's office. I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to say, you know, Eva Marie, let Doug teach the class. <laughs> But instead, he actually said, you know, tell me, tell me your background. And I told him, I I really had no background at that point, other than this intense desire to know scripture and to read scripture and to study scripture. And he said, well, would you like to start teaching Old Testament theology here? And I, okay, you know, so here we went. And then one thing led to another. That was, it, it was really largely because of that moment that I ended up getting into writing, period. I mean, there are so many things that were happening within that church with me. And so then I began, you know, writing articles and and things like this. And I was writing for crosswalk.com. And then uh, I received this invitation from the Ministry of Tourism in Israel, actually the Los Angeles Bureau uh, from the Ministry Ministry of Tourism, Israel's Ministry of Tourism, uh, say as a journalist, would you like to go to Israel? We'll take care of all the expenses. We won't. We won't pay for your um, for your souvenirs, but <laughs> but we'll take care of you know uh, the flight and, and and food and and boarding you and that kind of thing. And and this is what it's going to look like. And and so long story short, I did go, and that was in uh, June of two thousand two. Which I'm going to tell you, if you're doing a tour of Israel, don't go in the summer months. It was right. so unbearably hot. I was awful. But the woman who was our interpreter and our guide, Miriam Feinberg Vamosh, she and I had emailed each other back and forth. There was an instant connection between the two of us, just 
instant sisterhood. And so one day we were in Talhat Zor, which, you know, a lot of us, when we read it in the Bible, we say, hey, Zor, uh, but it's pronounced Hat Zor. And uh, this was the city that Joshua burned to the ground thousands upon thousands of years ago. The Bible tells us that Joshua did not always do this. You know, he would capture a city, but the king of Hatzor had tried to organize with four other kings to bring Israel down and, or the, you know, the army of Israel down. And so after uh, winning all the battles, uh, the, the Bible tells us in the book of Joshua, I believe it's Joshua 11, that Joshua turned back to Hatzor and burned it to the ground. So we had gone to Hatzor just to see this place. And the man who was, uh, you know, the overseer, uh, his name was uh, Mr. Al Haid, was so excited because they had just recently discovered the soot from Joshua's fire. Wow! In the in the first century, or, or in the in the, not the first century, I'm sorry, in the first uh, palace, because what they did was when Hazor was burned down, then they just built on top of it. They didn't bring in bulldozers and you know push everything away. They just built on top of the rubble. And so they had actually, you know, kind of come to, to the end here. And it's like, what is all of this? Oh my gosh, this is soot. Oh, now they're dating it. And they realize that this is the soot from Joshua's fire. And so Mr. El Haid said, you know, would you like to see it? But then he, he explained to us that in order to see it, we were going to have to go down. We were going to have to go down. And then that, you know, which was okay. But that also meant we were going to have to climb back up. So if you're not capable of climbing back up, don't go down. I, you know, there were six of us journalists and Miriam, and then also um, a woman from the Ministry of Tourism, Donna Kempler. And, and there were three journalists who said, yeah, I want to, I want to do this. And so down we went. They had it covered in tarp this section of King Habin's palace and Mr. El Habe, who could not speak English, by the way, everything he was saying, he was saying in Hebrew, Miriam was interpreting for us. He was explaining to us that they had found parts of the King's armor and they had found pieces of the Queen's jewelry and things like that. And so he throws back this tarp and it's just this, this ancient section of a wall with a ribbon of ash going through it. And there was a, a boulder in front of it. And he said, if you want, you know, you can pick up a, a rock and lean over, touch it, you know, get the soot on your fingers and then just rub it on the rock and, and take it home. So uh, we all wanted to do that, of course. And, and I was the last one in line, the last of the three. Donna said, hey, Eva, do you mind if I take your picture doing this for our PR? And I said, no, no, not at all. So I put my hand on the boulder and I'm leaning over. And just as I'm leaning over, you know, like kind of posing for this picture, Mr. El Habe whispers in my ear in perfect English, you are touching the Bible. Mm. And Stephanie, it was like somebody grabbed my ankles and yanked and my footing went out from under me. Well, of course, Mr. El Habe, you know, was struggling to, you know, not struggling, but hurrying to pick me up. It's not like I weigh 800 pounds or anything, but, but, you know, hurrying to pick me up. And I was, I was somewhat embarrassed. I was like, oh my goodness. Well, Donna said, well, Eva falls into the Bible. All of a sudden, it was like everything became crystal clear for me. Hmm. Night, I wrote in my journal, today I fell into the Bible and in love with God all over again. Because what I realized in that moment was that if the, if the fire from Joshua was so strong and so mighty, that it left its sooty remains after all these thousands of years. I want to know that the Holy Spirit's fire 
is so strong and so mighty inside of me that thousands of years from now, should they find my bones, the evidence of his living here will remain. And so after that, everything I saw, I saw it with this new, with new spiritual eyes. And I said to Miriam, you, you know, because she's telling us all the, all the details. Here's the biblical details. Here's the traditional details, the rabbinical details, the archaeological details, the biblical details. She's giving us all of this. She's trained to do this. But I'm seeing things suddenly very differently. And, and so I said to her, you know, Miriam, you and I should write a book together. Like you can tell all these facts. And then I can sit in these places and just let the Holy Spirit, you know, speak through me and 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 to me and not necessarily through me, but to me and just just write what I'm feeling and and we could take pictures and four color photography. Well, we both got really excited about it, but nobody else was. Several years went by. Thomas Nelson had read an editor at Thomas Nelson read the ten articles I wrote for Crosswalk.com you know, about this trip to Israel. And they said, hey, we have an idea, uh, like a gift book, historical events, you know, you kind of just writing what you're feeling while you're there, uh, the archaeological facts, four color photography. I mean, it was everything Miriam and I had talked about. And I said, I will do this on one condition that Miriam Feinberg von Moshe can write it with me. And they were like, absolutely. So I flew back to Israel in uh, 2007. And the timing was so beautiful because 2008 was their 60th anniversary of the statehood of Israel. So it was so perfect. And, and here we were, this Jewish woman, this Christian woman, walking the land together, photographing the land together, just um, experiencing the stories of the Bible together. And I, I have to tell you, just everything about it just burst with life for me I, one more time. And once again, when I, when I got on the plane to come back to the States, I, I just felt like I was leaving my home. I'm supposed to be here. You know, this, there's something about this place. And then Miriam and I, we had had this experience while I was there the second time. Um, she took me into to Inavdat in Nahazin, which is with, within the, you know, the Southern desert. And she said, you know, the tourists never come here. And I'm so sad about that because, because really as Jews, we had that out of the wilderness experience. And then as Christians, you have out of the wilderness experience. It is more of a spiritual, we were physically coming out of the wilderness, but you spiritually come out of the wilderness. And she and I had such an experience in those two places. And I said, why don't the tourists come here? And she said, I, I don't know. I mean, they come close, but they just don't go on down into it. And yet it's such a spiritual experience to do this. So she and I went back to the Ministry of Tourism and said, hey, we want to organize a tour, another tour for journalists that begins in the wilderness. It doesn't begin in the Galilee. It begins in the wilderness and then goes to the Jordan where the baptism of Jesus took place. And then comes it comes like taking that, that same route into the Galilee, around the Galilee, then into Jerusalem. Yeah. Or of course, you know, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection took place. This would be a true spiritual experience. And we were able to do that in 2009 to take, wow. you know, five more. I was a six, five more journalists in. Oh, it was such a wonderful thing. And we had someone from the Ministry of Tourism with us who had not ever done this. And he said, this has to be on the on everybody's radar. This has to be. So just recently, someone sent me an itinerary for a trip to Israel. And the first thing I noticed was that they were going down into Enough.Nahazin. And I was like, yes, you know, uh, that is so good. 
that's kind of the the total experience in a nutshell, although obviously that's not the total experience. <laughs> I understand that. I understand. Well, I want to hit on a couple of things you said, because you talked about as you started studying you know, just on your own, you know, following references, following those little alphabetical letters that lead you to another place in scripture where it's mentioned. Um, looking, maybe, I don't know if you're like me, but I love word studies. So I look, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, the Strong's, I, and then I go and I look up even on Hebraic sites and basically Jewish sites for more information. And, yes. and I think once you get into that, you kind of get in a place where it's just like, oh my goodness, I'm learning so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. You're just like, keep telling me, Lord, keep speaking, keep, yeah. keep yeah. filling me with yeah. it because you're helping me see something that is so precious because we don't really realize how many people died for the Bible to be printed. How many people? Know. Yeah. Even just for the the letters, the original letters of all of mm-hmm. these disciples and prophets and to be written and passed along, you know, mm-hmm. it's such a precious book that we have. But but when you get to that place and you start understanding and you you kind of said that, you know, you wanted to correct your your teacher in Genesis because <laughs> don't you see how this ties together? Don't you see how that yeah. and it's such a cool thing when the Holy Spirit makes these connections. And yes. I, I feel your excitement and it, and it like gives me goosebumps because and I hope that's translating out to the people who are listening to this, because I think it's such a cool thing to be excited about God's word. It absolutely is. And and I, I remember um, because I, I eventually did go and I actually have now gotten two degrees and I went to Zamak Institute. Uh, which is here in the Central Florida area. The the Zamak Institute is two year course mm-hmm. that is root is like let's look at the roots of Christianity there in Judaism. So it starts with Genesis one one and goes all the way to the end of Revelation. But it ties it all together with this understanding of the, the history of God, the history of the Jewish people, and everything. But I can remember just even that first time of of understanding reading Genesis 1-1 and then understanding what John was doing in John 1-1, you know, and I was like, okay, let's just get back to the beginning. Let's just start there and understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and that Jesus, this man he had walked with for three and a half years was there. He's wanting to make that point. Jesus was already there. It's not just, okay, God created, but that Jesus was a part of that. And so he's trying to tie all of that together. But then, like I said, as you, as you study and and you continue to study and you start to look at it from this other perspective, again, when I went to, I'll never forget this. I think it was maybe the first or second night at Zamak because we took the classes at night, uh, my daughter and I, and he had the whole timeline, Roger, um, Oh, his, his last name just went right out of my head. Uh, but the the instructor had the entire timeline of the of biblical history on this ginormous, you know, chalkboard. And I'm looking at it and I'm seeing like, okay, Genesis, you know, here's Genesis, here's Revelation over here. And all of a sudden I just went, <gasps> you know, <laughs> and my my daughter sitting next to me just went. And I said, look at this, look at this. There's a garden and a tree and a river. And then look at this, there's a garden. And a tree and a river, you know, so it's literally as if the Bible wrapped around itself, right? You know, and so then if that's the case, 
if we are talking about like almost a taco here, you know, it wrapped around itself or, or a burrito, then we start to see how all these things that were taking place in the Old Testament suddenly are laying on top of the things that were taking place in the New Testament. That's and right. got it. See, they understood right. what all this was, but we don't always understand it because we don't necessarily take the time to study what is this festival and that festival and what does it mean and and why is it celebrated and then you know how can we look at all of the different feasts and festivals and say okay and this is this is what was happening when Jesus was on the earth and it was during this festival and it was during that festival etc cetera, etc cetera. then how can we look at the second coming of Jesus against the festivals that's what we should be looking at mm-hmm. You know, and so then you start to see this incredible time burrito (laughs) that God has so perfectly laid out for us. And to get it. Yes, it is. And I remember learning even like back in uh, Exodus when 3,000 people were killed on the first Pentecost, basically the Feast of Shavarut. And for the graven image they made, that calf, that golden calf, 3,000 people lost their lives. But then you go ahead to Acts 2, where you have the giving of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost in Acts, and you have 3,000 people come to the Lord, come to a faith in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's like, don't you see? Don't you? See, I mean, even like I, I just was teaching, I teach a Bible study class. I've been, I've been teaching the same group of people forever. It seems like, and my comment is I'm either so good. They don't want to let me go or I'm so bad. They're not learning anything. So I just have to keep <laughs> sure which one it is. But um, this was something that, I mean, actually it was like one of those things that just recently I had this aha moment, um, the woman at the well. Right. Okay, so, you know, when the the Jews were dispersed and um, and and then the king sent, uh, I think this was when Israel was, you know, was taken by Assyria. The king sent these other people from other nations to come and live in the Samaria area so that it would not be uninhabited because now he owns all this. Right. He rules all this. So we don't want just we don't want it just to, to lie there barren. And so he sends these, these people in from these five nations, right? Okay. What I said to my Bible study group, oh, let me go back just a little bit. These five nations began to assimilate with the Jews who had been left there, the remnant, right? And so they kind of created their own form of Judaism. Like, okay, yes, we want to be like you. We want to celebrate your feasts and festivals. We want to know more about your God, but we also want to kind of keep our gods too. So we're, we're going to make our own little form of Judaism. And, you know, they got to this place of, well, we are actually the real Jews. And that's what Jesus was coming up against when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay. She's a descendant from all of this. But how could it have possibly been, except by God's design, that he says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had how many? Five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband because it was a distorted form of Judaism that they were practicing so you know it's like uh, all of a sudden you see this five and five one and one so you know he says I'm your your bridegroom and God in the Old Testament attributed himself as the husband right of Israel 
And so it's, oh my goodness, look at this. Alton Gansky years ago showed me something about uh, when the 5,000 were fed and the 4,000 were fed, the 5,000, these were around, you know, in the Galilee mm-hmm. and the 1,000 and they, they gathered up um, 12 small baskets of broken food. Right. When they went up into the, I think they were like more in the Decapolis area. There were 4,000 and there were seven large baskets of broken food. Well, ironically, the people who made up this area, ironically, she said, were the seven nations that the Jews were like, no, no, no. You know, we don't even want to be around these people. These were our enemies. And so they literally were considered just the enemies of Israel. So it's a lot of the ites, you know, like the, you know, the Jebusites, the, you know, whatever, whatever. When you look at that, they were larger. Israel was smaller. So you've got the small baskets. You've got the larger baskets. And again, but they were broken. Right. And Jesus fed them. It's amazing. Yes, it is. There's so many of those kinds of aha moments in scripture when you start putting because nothing was done just haphazardly. You know, Jesus made a learning situation out of everything. And I remember being taught about the first miracle. You know, we think, okay, yeah, big deal, turning water into wine. After he made the water into wine, they took it to the master of the ceremony, I believe, the yes. man who was running the whole wedding before they drank it. They they prayed this prayer. Blessed are you, God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And they don't realize is that here is Jesus giving them the fruit of the vine. Yeah. And another yeah. one is creating. He is the vine. <laughs> king of the universe who created. And he's basically yeah. saying, and yeah. it even says after that, and many his disciples believed on him. Yeah. believed he was the Messiah because now what did he just do? He just proclaimed that he was the creator of the universe who made the fruit of the vine. Right. Exactly. But that prayer is left out of scripture because it's such a, it's such a Jewish community that Mm -hmm. when the people who were writing these, these things down, whether it be Luke or John or well, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, but they understood the Jewishness of it. Yeah. And Jesus was talking to people like him. So it was all understood, but we we don't no, understand. We don't. Yeah. Even the things he said about being the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Things that we miss because we don't understand the Jewish tradition of marriage. Right. I, I just wrote an article actually for Crosswalk about this. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Mm. If it were not so, would I not say it? Well, what did the Jewish bridegroom do in his day? He offered the mohar, the, the bride price. The, the papa of the, the, mm-hmm. the bride said, sounds good to me, we hope. And then there was this period where it was the betrothal period. Mm-hmm. The bridegroom went back to his father's house and literally built on a room for her. Right. And so then, you know, at some point, the father would say to the bridegroom, go get your bride. The bridegroom didn't know when that was going to be. He mm-hmm. only knew that his, at some point his father would say, and it was usually about a year in, you know, go get your bride. So he would, you know, they would announce, okay, he's going to get his bride. You know, he's getting ready to go get his bride. And then this, you know, the announcer would come, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh. And of course the friends of the bride would hurriedly get her ready. And, and then off they would go to the house. 
we don't understand that 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 is exactly what he was saying about being. See, Paul got it. Paul wrote about it. He didn't need to explain it because the people who he was writing to should have understood it. Um, but he did reiterate it because for those who didn't have that background, now they can understand it as well. We have all of this, and and yet we miss so much. We miss so. We don't dig. We don't seek out. You know, I think that's. I think God wants us to. When it says, seek me with your whole heart and I will be found by you. I don't think it's, it's not just him alone in the sense of um, just on our hands and knees praying, but it's, it's even has to do with his word because we find him when we dig and when we read his word, we will find him and we will find these treasures and these, these, Mm -hmm. uh, they're just, you know, for lack of a better word, they're just like gemstones of, of truth and richness of scripture and, and who Jesus is. And, and it's just a beautiful thing when you get excited about it, when you just start digging. Years ago, I decided I was going to start digging into my, my ancestry. Hmm. I'm going to start with my mother's side of the family. My father's side of the family, it it began with three orphans and it just doesn't go back very far. So I knew that it would, it would take less time to do that. So I'm going to start with my mother's side of the family. Uh, because I had just received uh, some information I didn't even know about that give me entry into the DAR and, you know, all that. And so I, I kind of started with that and started digging and digging. And I would say to my husband, I'm going to go into my office and I'm just going to spend a half an hour on this. And like two hours later, he would come to the door and he's like, how long are you going to spend on that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been two hours because it's just so interesting. It's like one layer on top of another, on top of another. Well, it's the same thing. If you really want to get into the Bible and you want to get into the stories of the Bible and you want to understand the layers within the Bible, once you get started, you will just, you'll, it's just like hours and you get so excited and just like, oh my goodness, this is so rich. And you just, you don't want to put it down. You don't want to put it down to do what you're supposed to be doing. Who needs food? Who needs clean clothes? can do itself <laughs> I know to go I, to work you know it's writing, so good writing yeah. um my bible studies the very first one I wrote of course was like revelation okay so I yeah. decided that I thought revelation was such a cool book and it read like some sci-fi to me yeah. so I thought um I had just over the years accumulated all sorts of information on revelation and I decided to teach a class at my church, but I couldn't find any really good curriculum that went through. So I started writing it myself. And I remember (laughs) every morning and it was like the Lord would just download in me and I would sit at the computer and I had been homeschooling for all these years. And this particular year, I felt like I was supposed to send my kids back to school. Mm -hmm. So the Lord just started me, put into me to write. And I remember my husband coming home or coming in from working outside or whatever. And he's like, you're still at that computer. Yeah. Still writing. What could you possibly be writing about all this? Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and my husband, don't get me wrong. He's the type who will help me do anything and put things into motion and just do them. But he's like, I'm working outside. I'm doing all the dishes. I'm doing all the laundry because, yeah. You don't get up. For six- oh, we're, we're both so blessed. We've got two supportive husbands. <laughs> so, but he was starting to get a little upset because it was like, this is all you're doing. And 
And I was like, okay, Lord, you've given me this stuff to write. So what you need to convince my husband that I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Yes. And and the Lord just simply said, the Holy Spirit just said, give it to him to read. There you go. I printed it all out and I laid it at the table where he was sitting. And I said, so here's what I'm writing. And he went through it. And after about a, I don't know, a few hours of just, on and off looking at it, he goes, wow, this isn't you. This isn't how you write. <laughs> he goes, yeah. oh, this is from the Lord. And I know this right. is from the Lord. So yeah. Yeah. you just keep doing it, you know? So, and that's how it is. That's how that Bible study can become in just yes. It's like time flies and it's like, what laundry, what food, you know? Right, exactly. Well, that's actually how my husband became the cook of our house. Well, <laughs> you know, he would come to the door of my office and it's like, any chance we're eating today? <laughs> and, I, and he finally says, yeah, I think I'll start cooking. And then he started doing the grocery shopping and all this, you know, but I, we're so blessed that we have supportive husbands. If, if I were going to, if I were going to say to someone like, okay, you want to get started studying the Bible? You know, look, get a good study Bible, get a good study Bible and look at the the alphabet, you know, and look at the cross references. Um, one of the things I like to do, I call it following, following the path or follow through. So it, it there's a scripture and then there's a, you know, there's a little letter of the alphabet and you go over to the margin and it says, you know, so you're in, let's say Genesis, it says, see Psalm 28, one. So you go to Psalm 28, one. And then, you know, there's another letter of the alphabet. It says, you know, see Isaiah 48.3. You know, so now you're doing that. And then it just keeps following through and following through until it hits the end of its path. But just writing all that down. And then again, that's when you see how the Bible is built word on top of word, line on top of line, precept on top of precept, as Kay author so beautifully says. Um, it's not just words on paper. It's not just something somebody wants. Oh, let me just tell you the story. You know, mm-hmm. it really is God breathed, God inspired, and it has such a purpose. And nothing is there because of happenstance. Right. You see something that you go, well, that's kind of an odd thing to put there. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop. Because you need that. There's a reason it's there and you need to look into it. Right. My, daughter is out of the country and she is serving the Lord in another country. And well, I can't say much about it because of where it is, but we're able to communicate on the, on an app. And so the other morning, and this is the second time. So she is texting me and saying, what does this mean in scripture? And the, the last one was about John 11 and it was verses nine and 10. And so Jesus was going to see Lazarus they're like warning him not to go. <laughs> the last time he was here, they threatened to stone him and kill him. And they're like, right. we don't want you to be killed. So don't go there. And he's like, there's 12 hours in a day and there's light and there's darkness. And he's going into this whole thing about light and darkness and, and the time that we have to use the light that we have. And, and we don't stumble in the, in the light. We stumble in the darkness. And, right. and he's like, that's like so out of context. What does that mean? And it was so cool to me because at this time in her life, she's coming to me like, mom, help me understand scripture. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the best thing for mom. I think. I, oh, I know. I know. Jay, one of my favorite lines in the Bible 
comes right about that point, and it comes from Thomas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, I call him the Eeyore of the Bible <laughs> because he says, let us go with him so we can die also. <laughs> you know, it's like Eeyore's tail falls off and they put it back on. It's okay. It'll probably fall off again anyway. <laughs> but that every time I come to that line, I start laughing. So often the disciples, or as I call them, the boys, the mm-hmm. boys forget. They forgot who they were with. They forgot everything he was teaching them. You know, this is going to happen. We will go into Jerusalem and I will die, but I will come back in three days. And even in the midst of those three days, they didn't get it. Here's here's one of the things when I went to the garden too. And of course, there's like three places it could be, you know, the, the burial place of Jesus, you know, and then again, none of them could be right. But the garden tomb has been so beautifully preserved and, and everything. And so we're there and, and I'm sitting and I'm, I'm journaling. And this was, I think this would have been my second time uh, with when I was just with Miriam. And, and so she's, she's just sitting quietly off to one side, just letting God talk to me, you know, as I'm, as I'm journaling. And all of a sudden I looked at her and I said, they were taking spices. And it's like one of those, it just hit me moments, you know, they were taking spices, Miriam. And she said, yes. And I said, so in their minds, he was dead because you don't take spices to a man who's alive. You know, if there's no body, if he's back, you don't. I'm like, man, I felt actually better about my own lack of faith from time to time because they had walked with him. Mm-hmm. talked with him and studied under, I mean, literally under the sound of his voice. And, and still, didn't they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Mary didn't even recognize him when she saw him. No. And he said her name and it was like, he can't be alive. He can't yeah. be alive. No, it can't, it can't, it can't possibly be him. You know, it just can't possibly be him. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that if you just, if you don't try to rush through and you just read them slowly, Putting yourself in their skin, mm-hmm. you suddenly begin to recognize certain things. You know, it's like the, the human element to all of this. Did Jesus chastise her because she didn't recognize him? Did he chastise her because she had brought spices for his body? No. No. Talking just this past weekend, I was at my cousin's. We had a big family reunion. And I don't remember how we got on this topic, but, but the topic came up. You know, Peter. Um, oh, I, now I remember how we got on this topic. But, you know, Peter was in prison and all of a sudden the chains just fell off and the angels basically escorted him out just right past the guards, you know, and everything. And he he goes to where the other disciples are praying and he knocks on the door and Rhoda, the, the, the house servant, goes down and she sees him and she goes running back up and it's his ghost, you know. And again, it's like, how many times did we just, all of us, all of us, not just them, not just us, all of us, not get the full picture from time to time. And we can dig forever. Mm-hmm. We can't. We won't understand it all. We won't get it all. Right. You no, know? we just won't. Um, there was something when you were talking about Israel that I remember a story you told about that you always like to take pictures of your feet. Yeah. And this one particular time, when you got the pictures back, you saw something more in the picture than yes. just your feet. Yes, I did. 
Um, and in fact, the, the, the photo is framed and uh, it's, it, it's in the dressing area of our bathroom. Uh, so I look at it every day. Almost everywhere I go, I like to take photos of my feet. And uh, we, this was my third trip. We were in the, near the Southern Steps uh, going, you know, going into Jerusalem. And we were near that place, that marketplace where Jesus would have turned over the tables and, and you know, had what we call in the South a hissy fit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, got very upset with the uh, money changers and the, and the merchants. I don't, I don't really know how to explain this fully, but all of a sudden I just, even though there were people around us and, and the other journalists and, you know, Joe from the ministry of tourism and Miriam was right there. I suddenly felt like I was there alone. Mm-hmm. Like I was the only one there. And I thought, I want to take a picture of my feet, but I, I do remember that they had started to move on. And I said, I'll be right there. And it was almost ethereal. Again, cannot quite explain this moment, but I pointed the camera down at my feet and I realized that I was standing with the sun behind me. So what I was getting was a lot of shadow. So of course I just, you know, did a 180, you know, so that now the sun is directly on my feet. And I took the photo with these ancient stones beneath my feet. And then I went on about, you know, catching up. But again, it was one of those moments where it's like something just happened here, but I don't fully know what it was. So that night when we got back to the hotel, I was uploading the photos into my computer and just kind of going through them. And okay, well, that one had my thumb in it or whatever. You know, so get rid of it. And I got to that picture. I'm like, why is there a shadow? I turned around and then I realized it wasn't just a shadow. It was a someone with a robe and the talit, which is the, the prayer French. And then, of course, I tried to like, okay, what did I have on? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. There can't be a shadow. I was facing the sun. I deliberately turned to face the sun. It could only be one thing. Right. It could only be one thing. So that, that picture is framed. I see it every day. Every day reminded that Jesus is right behind me. He's got me, you know, he's got my back, as they say. Yes. Such a beautiful story and just such a beautiful, you know, picture. I might, I haven't seen it. You'll have to take a picture. Of me well, I'll, I'll, I'll actually send you the picture. I can send you the picture. Yes. And, but, but just such an awesome experience to know. And, and we don't often think, I'm backing up a little bit, but we don't often think that, you know, he wore that prayer shawl. He wore, he walked around with that in those, and all those little um, knots that they made. There's 613 knots on those. And that represents the name of Yohava. And it's just such a cool thing. And here is the shadow behind you of a man, basically, you know, I guess. In, in first century garb. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, there's just no other explanation for it. Just beautiful. It's one of those moments that it it was so defined because I, you know, was about to take the picture and I just thought, well, this looks stupid because, you know, like you could literally see my elbows, you know, sticking out because I'm holding the camera a certain way, you know. So I'm like, oh, that looks stupid. So I turned around. I I love taking pictures of my feet in these, of course, it's my shoes, obviously. (laughs) I was not not shoeless, but I've also got... uh, 
photos of my feet in, you know, my bare feet in the Sea of Galilee and in the Dead Sea and, you know, places like that. So, yeah. And the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I, I took a class from you at one of the conferences, and it was about the questions of Jesus, I guess is the best the questions God asked. Yes. Yeah. And what we don't always realize is that it's a very Jewish thing. That yes. Yes, it is. Jesus asked questions. Yes. God asked questions. Uh, you know, if we if we look into the Old Testament, God asked many questions of people, and sometimes they answered. Sometimes they're just like, uh, I don't know what to say. You know, sometimes they did the very Jewish thing of answering the question with a question. Exactly, very yeah. Jewish thing. Yes, yes, yes. God says, "What? Where are you going?" Well, I don't know. Where should I go? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're asking me where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know where I'm going. <laughs> right. And 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 Jesus has very down to earth, very simple, heartfelt questions in the sense that they got to the heart of the matter. Yeah. And because That's he's it. God. Miriam taught me this. Questions, 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 she said. And there's a phrase that means turn it over, turn it over. It's a it's a gardening phrase, but they use it to talk about how you ask questions and top of questions on top of questions because it's in that it's even within those moments of debate. Well, what about this? But what about that? Well, what about this? And they just start tossing these things out that eventually you get to the absolute core of the answer by asking the questions. And so there are, there are places in, in Israel that are ancient that are kind of set up like uh, two horseshoes, and they were like stone benches. And Miriam said, these are the places where the, where the rabbis and the sages and, and the teachers would sit and debate. They would toss out these questions. And one question would lead to another, would lead to another. And so how do we get to know each other? Your questions. Right. You know, what is your name? What do you do for, you know, the whole thing of you're sitting on a, on a plane next to a stranger. You mm-hmm. know, what's your name? What do you do for a living? Where are you going? Are you married? How many children do you have? Do you have grandchildren? You know, these are the questions we ask. We get answers. This is how we get to know each other by asking questions. Well, God asks us questions, not because he doesn't know the answers, but because he wants us to go come into communion with him you know, into conversation with him and start to answer those questions. And if we take those questions in the Bible and then put them back on ourselves, they should not be easily answered. Right. Tough to answer. And I'm I'm so excited because next month, well, this month, it's August the 2nd. This month, the book that goes along with the class that you took will release. uh, It's called The Third Path. And uh, it is that that path of questioning, which, you know, came from a, a labyrinth, a prayer labyrinth that I happened up on in Alabama. And the third path was the path of questioning. Mm. And, uh, I thought it was supposed to be my questions to God and then came to realize it was his questions to me. And it led me on a, a very long journey. But one of the most beautiful times of my life, I'm still on that path. Uh, because there are just so many questions in the Bible, but now being able to teach that to others like yourself and how to get the core of your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Those questions. Right. And I, I've told this story before to other people because who haven't taken class, but 
Um, I remember you just saying, okay, you took us to scripture and basically one of the questions that Jesus asked was, what do you want me to do for you? For you, yeah. And we were to write the the answer, you know, and you said it can be anything. It doesn't have to be spiritually correct or a (laughs) real answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to be famous, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What can Jesus do for you? And, Mm And that question and. And I remember so clearly I was writing down what I thought was a, a very Christian answer. Yeah. Holy Spirit. I just, want you to just do your will in my life. <laughs> just, you know, let me, let me glorify you and, and everything. And, and he's, just, and I remember the Holy Spirit just saying, that is not what you want. And I was just like, oh, okay. Oh, Tell me what oh, you We're going to get to the core of this, are we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because tell yeah. me what you really want, and then and yeah, I won't go into all that because that's another sob story got me going. But but it was so true, and just from that one question, you know, that opened up a whole thing for me to be honest with what was in my heart and say, yes, Lord, this is what I want, and this is what I want you to do for me, and whether it makes sense to you, whether it makes sense to anybody else, or whether it matter. this is what I want this is what I want yeah this is what I want and then you know and you remember my story that I had said this is what I want and and that somebody challenged me when I was teaching this class in Arizona he said why and I thought well now that was not that was not part of the deal (laughs) but but I, I almost felt like that was from God himself so it was like okay you've told me what you want now tell me why why do you want that and and we were able to again get even deeper in because there was a question. There was a question back. So there, it's so interesting because in in John one, Jesus. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I think it might be John. It could be John two or John three. It could be John one. Who knows? Anyway, it's for sure John. Uh, Jesus is walking along the disciples of John the Baptist. Seen mm-hmm. that you know that 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 moment of the Holy spirit descending like a dove and the voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And John the Baptist saying, you know, behold the lamb of God. I mean, there he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then these, you know, two or three disciples of John the Baptist go running behind uh, Jesus and Andrew was one of them. And uh, he just turns around and says, what do you want? And it's just like, oh, can you imagine? I mean, you, you know who he is. It's like, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting on. This is the one we've been praying for. And there he is. And he just turned around and said, what do you want? And I, I love their answer. Mm-hmm. He's saying, <laughs> see, it's a question. Yes. <laughs> Master, where are you saying? Mm-hmm. And it was because the bottom line is wherever you're going, we, we want to go too. Right. And, and that was, the answer was come and see. Yes. Yeah. Wait, the Yes, the chosen. Yes. Great program. And uh, definitely. Well, thank you. I appreciate this so much. And this is so welcome. Sure. And you're so spunky and talkative. And I love that and learn so much from you. And I appreciate you so much. Well, I love talking about Israel. So yeah, Jewish roots. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. It's, you know, taking me back through some wonderful memories. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.